Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. As we very much like to do here on Chicago's Legal Latte, we've, we've skipped around really across a, a wide variety of topics in the last few weeks from workplace issues like social networking policies and, and consideration for giving key employees stock as an incentive to things like temporary restraining orders and a, a recent discussion on criminal law involving uh, DUIs while operating a watercraft, which was certainly a, a timely summer discussion. Uh, so we've covered quite a bit, and we're back for more. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And this week we turn our attention to an area that we, we frankly haven't visited in a while now, family law, and we're going to discuss maintenance in a divorce proceeding. Uh, joining me will be Attorney Janae Pequeno, who many of you have heard here in the past, and if you have, you know that uh, he always provides a great deal of information and, and some helpful advice and suggestions. While a variety of topics you know, serves as our hallmark here on the podcast, I'd, I'd like to think we also are a, a trusted source for providing useful information in, in a very quick, digestible format, and I anticipate that's uh, what we're going to do today. So let's get to it. I will begin by introducing my guest from Lavelle Law Limited, Attorney Janae Pequeno, and it's good to have you back. Thanks for being here today. Jim, it's always a pleasure. I enjoy talking with you and sharing information to uh, our wonderful audience. Yeah, a lot to cover today. Now, I always like to test myself a little bit before the podcast and uh, frequently go over you know, discussion notes by sort of anticipating what the topic might entail just from looking at the, the proposed title. And I'll tell you, I, I was caught off guard by this one as I really didn't know what the topic entailed. So assuming there's maybe others like me, can you first of all just tell us what is meant by the term maintenance in reference to this discussion? Sure, not a problem, Jim. Maintenance is was formerly known as alimony, and it's just basically spousal support. You know, you've been married for a while, you get divorced, um, used to a certain quality of life, used to going places, maybe somebody was a stay-at-home individual raising the kids, and then, you know, when, when the time comes, if there's a divorce, then, you know, the law provides uh, a remedy for for that situation. And I think as we're going to find out today, and you can kind of start to explain to me now, um, while the law provides a remedy, it, it seems to me that uh, this may be one of the more complex elements that gets raised in a divorce here in Illinois. Jim, it's one of my least favorite uh, <laughs> topics in family courts because there are no uh, straight, bright-line tests. And even if you qualify for maintenance, formerly known as alimony, the judge has wide discretion to to make it a bunch of different ways. It could be, you know, re- rehabilitative maintenance. It could be permanent maintenance. It could be non-modifiable maintenance. It can be modifiable maintenance. And there are ten factors that the court uses. And sometimes it's just the one factor, and that's just the judge is going from their hip. <laughs> so yeah. it's really difficult. It's not like child support. Yeah, you know, you know where there's a set percentage. Yeah, because we've talked about that in the past. The the child support is something we've talked about in the past. And and as you just said, there's a set percentage. There's sort of a formula for that. And, 
you know, in kind of Absolutely. looking into today's today's topic, there were, as you said, ten or twelve different factors. Let's let's kind of walk through those. There's a whole list, so maybe let's just start with the first few that deal with finances or the financial side of things. What what does the court need to look at relative to income or expenses when they start trying to make these decisions? Well, <clears throat> the factors that that are laid out is just um, you know. They're W-2s. You know, we need evidence of the income. Uh, in, in many counties, there are financial disclosure statements which will show the judge what the parties have had in their marital estate, if they had any retirement plans, if they had any, uh, you know, 401K, any, you know, public pension type thing, whatever it may be, any, any income sources derived from that. Uh, and even... You know, when you look at people's income, some people have companies uh, where they're, you know, S-corporations or, you know, it's an LLC, and then there's different treatments on to what they're calling uh, the their income, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really, um, you know, what you say income, but that can mean a lot of things, you know, and so it's just variable, so, so variable, uh, even on the one factor. Um, then the needs of each party, you know, are the parties still living together? Um, you know, what's their mortgage like? What are they expected to have uh, as a as a housing expense after the marriage is over and they're out on their own, uh, no longer living together? Um, you know, if the parties are retired, the age of the parties at the dissolution, their earning capacities of the parties. I mean, there really is a, a lot of wiggle room. Uh, and the 12 factors that go into maintenance. And just to be clear, because I heard you mention a couple things um, that sort of are forward-looking. So a, a judge isn't going to take a snapshot and say, okay, this is where we're at today. Let's figure out the, the maintenance. They factor in future needs and future earning capabilities when they're making these decisions, right? Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, so they do. They, uh, they need to, you know, because what if uh, – you know, what if the individuals are retired and, you know, the, the husband has, you know, millions in a in a retirement account or what if they were what if they husband brought in money, a lot of money into the into the marriage and kept it all separate. Then if they divorce and he he had kept it separate in separate accounts the entire time, I had this situation pop up once. They uh they married in their late thirties and the husband had probably uh, $2.5 million in an IRA account that was always separate. He never commingled it. He never changed the nature of it to be a marital asset. And the um, the the only thing they really had together was a home. And the home was worth 300000 you know. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we had to look at the the length that these people were married to make an argument that even though this non-marital asset was um, solely the husband's, um, that we need to look at that as a source of income to to provide maintenance for our client. And that's what we eventually were able to do. Uh, I'd also at some point today, Jim, like to talk about protections of maintenance even once it is awarded. Uh, let, let me just go on this hypothetical situation, this law school type of uh, example. Suppose we have a couple, they're divorcing, and the husband uh, is supposed to pay $7,000, $6,000 in maintenance per month. Uh, 
the judgment says that he's not going to be able to modify that, but um, you know he's got to pay that, and that's all it says. If the wife is not careful, she gets divorced, and then three months later, due to an unfortunate accident with you know public transportation around Chicagoland, um, you know he's he's hit by something, and he's no longer with us on Earth. If there was no protection in place for that maintenance, that $6,000, $7,000 award disappears at his death. It doesn't continue. You can't go on his estate and get that. And so it's a little higher level lawyering and uh, the need to talk to insurance agents and get them involved and determine what the life expectancy is on an individual and how long are they going to live and how many years of payments can my client expect and you know what we need to do to protect that and how do we protect that so it's there's a lot to think about when it comes to this issue yeah well as we said at the beginning certainly a complex uh, portion and in terms of one of the things you deal with in handling a divorce case our listeners today are hearing from attorney Janae Pequeno and associate Lavelle Law Limited, always very meticulous and passionate about his work and shares a great deal of information in our quarter hour visits. Um, he also shares key topics via articles he posts at LavelleLaw.com. And uh, I can tell you, he will always take time for consultation if you uh, are looking for any uh, assistance in this area. I suggest reaching out to him, and he can certainly address your questions and, and help get you started. Or uh, guide you in the in the right direction. Um, I, one of the things we hear about today when we we talk about divorce cases, you know, in in general conversation and in the news, is the established lifestyle that uh, the parties have. Do, does the court right. consider that as well? They absolutely do. That's factor number six, actually. And if there was a lot of travel during the marriage, if there was a vacation home in Florida, a condo timeshare, those kind of uh, standards of living, the rooms, number of rooms in a house, uh, condo, uh, single-family home, town home, uh, the furnishings, all of those things. Um, you know, the, the, the court's objective is to uh, put the, the, the spouse uh, in the weakened financial position in sort of a similar place to where they were should the marriage not have broken down. So it's it's a high burden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. a high standard, it's a high burden, but it, if they award it, they uh, it, it can also be a high obligation uh, to the person. Sure. And so um, what, what some people do, Jim, in, in terms of uh, trying to negotiate away from maintenance, some individuals, they would prefer to have the money right now as opposed to wait for it later. And they'll say, uh, okay, um, give me 80% of the house and you get 20 and I won't go for maintenance anymore. So sometimes it can be used as a negotiation tool uh, mm-hmm. by the attorneys um, just to establish you know, what kind of dollar figures today, if there's any equity anywhere or any asset that can be used to offset maintenance down the road. So it's just uh, get paid now as opposed to later. It's like the lottery. You take a lump sum now or you yeah. take it over the payments on the annuity. 
Yeah, an interesting comparison there. Now, as usual, we're, we're flying through our time here. We've got a little over a minute left. I'm going to just throw a, kind of a lump question at you with a couple things in it. Maybe you could just give us a few highlights. Some of the other factors um, in looking at the list here, age, physical, emotional condition of the parties, gender. Uh, give us a quick overview of how those factor in. Uh, the age, uh, if if you're a young couple, that you can the court assumes you can go back to work and get a degree and better yourself. Um, if there's any been any uh, agreement prior uh, prenups, those will be used. So um, just the court takes all of those things into consideration and uh, to determine how long it'll be. Uh, it could be a short marriage, but somebody's permanently disabled, then you could be on the hook for the rest of your life. So it just Really, there's a lot of factors, and no case is ever the same. Mm-hmm. And I know in, in talking to your colleagues at Lavelle Law, in many topics we talk about taxes and how they factor into so many decisions in our lives. What about tax consequences when you start dividing up property? Tax Taxes on maintenance, it is uh, taxable as income to the person receiving maintenance, and it's non-taxable. Uh, it reduces the income of the person who's paying it. So if they make 100000 and they pay 25000 in maintenance, they actuality uh, made 75000 and the person receiving maintenance made 25000 uh, In terms of property, it just depends on what the amounts were, the basis of it, uh, what they bought it for, if there's anything. Typically in a divorce, the property dissolution and division doesn't have a whole um, as much of a tax consequence as the maintenance award does. So they would have to be businesses and things that were built into it already uh, with those kind of consequences. Okay. Well, um, I know we could we really just scratch the surface here. There seems to be a lot more to this topic. Can we perhaps suggest that uh, we get you back on in the near future here and go a little more into detail on some of this? Sure, that's perfect. Okay. Well, that's uh, Janae Pequeno. I certainly want to thank him for being with us. Uh, always shares a great deal of information. Part of the Family Law Practice Group at Lavelle Law Limited. Um, check out, as I mentioned, his articles at lavellelaw.com. All of our past podcasts are there, and you can also get them on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, in terms of future podcasts, the next few weeks we return to a business view as we discuss mechanics liens and then the Illinois Department of Revenue administrative hearing process. So on the business side, you might want to check the schedule, make sure you're lined up for those, and we will talk to you then. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.